the podcast on the Sing Second Sports Network are a ProVision Advisors production. At ProVision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. Visit ProVisionAdvisors.net to learn more. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the one and only Navy Football Podcast. Brought to you by New Day USA. I'm Bill Wagner, longtime Navy athletics beat writer for both Capital Gazette newspapers and the Baltimore Sun. And uh, we have a special guest tonight, uh, Naval Academy graduate turned member of the media covering Navy athletics himself, Mike James. And Mike is gracious enough to fill in because Keenan Reynolds is on a flight for business and Eric Katani has a crying baby and he cannot get her to sleep. Mike is going to fill in and talk a little Navy Central Florida. Mike will be covering the game. Mike lives in the Jacksonville area and he's going to drive over as I am I. I will be staying in lovely Hammock Beach in Palm Coast, Florida with with uh, our producer Chris Cervello. We're going to have Try to play some golf on Sunday, uh, weather permitting. And uh, we'll also have a little time to spend together on Friday evening before I drive over to Orlando. So without further ado, another heavyweight of the American Athletic Conference. And uh, Navy is in quite the stretch here, Mike. You go to Cincinnati, played pretty well, lose 20 to 10, just were not able to muster enough points, but a heck of a defensive effort against a very potent Bearcat squad. Then neutral site game, M&T Bank Stadium, Baltimore against Notre Dame. Things looked ugly initially, 35-13 at halftime. And then lo and behold, the Navy defense just completely stones Notre Dame, shuts them down, zero points on 12 total yards. The offense steadily comes back. And lo and behold, it's 35-32, and Navy's attempting an onside kick with the opportunity to hopefully get the ball back and either Score the go-ahead touchdown or cook a tying field goal did not happen. Notre Dame recovered the onside kick. Now you go to Central Florida, which is atop the American Athletic Conference standings. They hold the tiebreaker over to Lane and Cincinnati by virtue of beating those two teams head-to-head. Mike, you're intimately familiar with Central Florida. Your daughter attends Central Florida. Uh, Tell us about this night squad. Have you gotten a good look at them uh, in previous games? Yeah, I've been watching them for a, a good part of the year now, uh, and I and I'm pretty impressed. I think when you you know you know it's kind of funny that that UCF is kind of the the team you think of when you think of the rise of the American Athletic Conference. You know, and they they've made a big name for themselves. They you know their leadership has been kind of vocal and kind of rubbed people the wrong way a little bit sometimes, but they've backed it up on the field. Um, but the last few, few years, you know, the mystique has kind of been gone. You know, they, the last two seasons, they've lost three conference games in both years. Now, one of them, one of those seasons was the 2020 COVID year, which everything was weird. But still, you, you wonder if, if UCF is, is ever going to be UCF again. And I don't know if they're quite there yet, but they're getting there. Um, they're, they're, they're running really well. And I think if you, you look at, at what they're doing, particularly offensively, it's, it's the first team under Gus Malzahn that really looks like a Gus Malzahn team because at, 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 at his heart, he wants to run the ball. And 
a lot of his offense, you know, it's, it's designed to run like, like 80 plays a game. You know, his, his idea is that, well, if I can get five quarters worth of plays in four quarters, then that's like, I'm getting two or three extra drives. I'm going to score more than you. Um, so what he does is he simplifies things. His offense has been compared to the, the wing T or, or, or the single wing, but it's simple, but it's run really quickly. And his best offenses have been able to run the ball. And those offenses that run the ball, the best had a running quarterback. And I think that's been the difference this year is that you're not looking at, at Dylan Gabriel. Um, you don't have Mikey Keene as a freshman trying to fill in. You actually have a true running quarterback in a uh, John Rice Plumley um, who's run for 700 yards this year. You know, he hasn't, he ran for 176 last week against Tulane, and you know he's not putting up 100 yards every week, but the threat is always there, and that threat I think has really made the difference for the UCF UCF offense. Well, who would have ever thought we'd see the day when Central Florida is a higher-ranked rushing team than Navy? Central Florida is fifth nationally with 249.5 yards per game. Navy is tenth at 238.7. Now Navy has the nation's sixth best rushing defense. Navy is only allowing 85.8 yards per game on the ground. So it's kind of like the irresistible, uh, the immovable object eats, meets the irresistible force. Um, but this is a little different than Notre Dame. Notre Dame was a power running team, wanted to power run up between the tackles. And that's kind of right up Navy's, you know, alley. They, they, they love that. They want to strap it the back, the helmet and, and play mano a mano. This is a little different. This isn't just having to shut down a power rushing team. This team has speed. They can get the edges. And Plumlee, as you mentioned, is the X factor. And, you know, obviously he's an incredible athlete. He was a two-sport athlete at Ole Miss. He played wide receiver at Ole Miss. Um, but I think Coach Newberry, the defensive coordinator at Navy, Brian Newberry, he indicated that he'll do all sorts of stuff. He'll RPOs. He'll, you know, have a a jet screen where he doesn't give the ball and he runs it out the back door. What, what have you seen from the UCF rushing attack and Plumlee in particular, Mike? Well, I think what, what's really, and especially the, the last few weeks, because if you look at what UCF done, has done over the last few weeks, you know, they beat Cincinnati, then they go to Memphis, they beat Memphis, and then they go to Tulane, um, who what you know in a ranked matchup and they they beat Tulane at their at their place and I think what has happened over the course of the year is that you know early on it, it, it seemed like like Plumlee wasn't as comfortable throwing the ball and maybe the they didn't really figure out the best way to, to use him uh, use his arm but they've become they, they've kind of figured that out the over the as the year has gone on where they've, they've figured out, you know, the, the right kind of play action to use, the right kind of formula um, to get him going. And so he's become really just a, a complete threat, and which is really what the, the biggest problem that Navy faces, because even if they can shut down the run, UCF can go to the air. They have no problem throwing the ball. It's not like they're a one-dimensional team. So, and, and we've seen the, the, the problems that, that we've had from the Navy defense just giving up the big play. I think one of the, the issues that we've seen out of out of Navy is is that they've kind of they, because they've been so cognizant of the the giving up the big play that when they do drop seven drop eight into coverage those those 
safeties are sitting way back and those the zone is getting really soft underneath. It's not that you can't rush three, you know, per se, but the way Navy's doing it is focused on the, on give, not giving up the big play and it's been, but don't break all, all over again. And that's what we've seen when, when Navy's had, you know, dropped into coverage, we've seen those, those 20, 30 yard gains just because they're finding those soft spots in the zone. And UCF will take advantage of that all day if, if Navy lets them. So it's, you, you know, the, the game plan, you kind of want to think you, you want to shut at least one thing down, but that's, that's a lot easier said than done when it comes to a team like UCF. So obviously the Navy coaches and players take confidence from the results against Cincinnati and Notre Dame, you know, feeling like, Hey, we played with these teams. We can play with central Florida, but I kind of sense that central Florida is just slightly different than Cincinnati and Notre Dame. And that again, both Cincinnati and Notre Dame were more power rushing schemes and UCF brings a little more perimeter elements, a lot more speed. I mean, that's a coach Newberry said that, well, actually it was coach Nehemiah said their, their speed on film is really noticeable. He said that they, you will get wind burn because these guys are going by you so fast. But I mean, can't, do you feel that what Navy did against Cincinnati and Notre Dame is a barometer that Navy can play a tight contest with central Florida, or do you feel like this is a completely different beast? Oh, it's a different beast. Um, and it's not just the speed, although the speed is, is part of it. Um, but it's just the nature of the offense. When you have and it's particularly the run defense, when you have a quarterback who can run the ball, I think it kind of takes away some of your aggression. There was a play against Notre Dame where, or Rayon lane, um, it was a third down play. It was like third and two. It was right after the onside kick. And he just came from the backside and just clocked the running back from, from behind and stopped him for a loss and, and forced Notre Dame to punt. Um, you're not going to be able to make that play against UCF because you have the threat of the run go from the quarterback going the other way. You can't sell out the same way on the backside of a play the way they did there. Um, and I think you have to ha- kind of be cognizant and you have to be a little bit more you know, make sure you're staying at home. You can't sell out quite as much because you're not sure who's going to be running with the ball on any given play. So it's, it's a little bit like defending an option team kind of where, where it's, it prioritizes discipline more than, than just going all out aggression. Drew Pine was going to sit in the pocket and, and try to get the ball throw downfield. He was not looking to take off. Reese Plumley is going to go, um, I asked Coach Newberry about that, and he, he mentioned, by the way, Navy in the second half against Notre Dame did zero coverage or zero blitz, however you want to refer to it. Basically, it's you put your guys in man-to-man coverage and send the house uh, almost every time Notre Dame got in third and long, and it worked. But I asked Coach Newberry, and he said that's just not sustainable. Uh, teams will, you know, they will game plan for that. They'll scheme for that. And if you bring zero blitz all the time, they'll burn you. So how would you – because Newberry wants to bring pressure, and as you mentioned, I mean, you're, 10 games into the season, I think Navy's pass defense is what it is. It's, it's, <laughs> they give up some yardage. They give up some big plays. So what it would be your defensive strategy? I mean, Newberry wants to be aggressive. He wants to get after you. He don't want to just sit back and play, Ben, but don't break like you mentioned. So what would be your strategy against this uh, – the central Florida offense, you put a spy, you take a really good athlete, like maybe Rayon lane, your safety or, and spy Plumley, or what would you do, Mike? 
Well, I think there are times you want to you want to put a spy on Plumlee, not necessarily to keep him from running, but just because if you do only rush three and and you don't want to give him all day to sit in the pocket. So you leave a spy in there. And if it looks like he's just going to have all day, then you send him in on a delayed blitz or, or something. But I think what if it was me, what I would do is I would try to bring pressure at least early on just to see how it goes. Um, as because you're kind of caught between a, a rock and a hard place when with, when you have a young secondary where you, you don't want to leave them one-on-one by sending everyone blitzing. But on the flip side, the best thing you can do for a young secondary is get after the quarterback and not give him time to throw. So what I would do is see is send pressure early, see how it goes. If it ends up like the Houston game where you're just, where they just didn't get anywhere near Clayton tune, no matter how many guys they sent, then you kind of cut your losses, sit back, and, and try to manage the game that way. But if it's like early in the Notre Dame game, making the quarterback uncomfortable, keep bringing pressure. Keep, you know, keep keep sending them after him. But at least start that way and then see how it goes and adjust accordingly. Well, Mike, James, and I will both be there at the bounce house, as they call it. And uh, the last time we were there a few years back, that, that place was actually shaking. I was getting a little worried. Uh, well, that's kind of like a little signature. Is, is that why they call it the bounce house? That's exactly why they call it the bounce house. And boy, when you're in the press box, it, it feels like a, a, a low level earthquake or something. It actually shakes. It, it's a little bit unsettling. Well, Mike and I will be there to cover this game and uh, hopefully Navy can keep it close, perhaps pull the upset. I mean, that would be playing spoiler in a big time way. Uh, Central Florida is in the driver's seat to be in the American Athletic Conference Championship game. And on paper, they're playing two teams at the bottom tier of the of the standings in Navy and then South Florida to close out. So if Navy were to beat Central Florida on its home field, that would be a major upset and could open the door for Cincinnati and Tulane to be in the uh, American Championship game. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Mike, thanks a lot for joining us and filling in for the guys. And uh, – We'll look forward to seeing you on Saturday there in Orlando. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. That's a great discussion with Mike James, and we're going to go to break. And when we return, it will be the Academy Securities Alumni Spotlight. And we're really excited to have Malcolm Perry on. He and Keenan Reynolds are two of the greatest quarterbacks in Navy history, and they're going to be talking ball here in our next segment. All right, Sing Second fans, a few announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. Navy men's basketball hosts two exciting home games this weekend as they take on UC San Diego Friday night at 7 p.m., followed by a matchup with Youngstown State this Sunday at 2 p.m. The first 150 fans to Friday night's contest will receive the first poster in our World War II-themed mini-poster series. Then on Sunday, fans are encouraged to donate to our canned food drive, benefiting the Anne Arundel County Food Bank. Fans who donate at least three cans or non-perishable food items will receive free admission to Sunday's game. The Navy women's basketball team returns to Alumni Hall Tuesday, November 22nd to take on Monmouth at 7 p.m. Fans are also encouraged to donate to the canned food drive, benefiting the Anne Arundel County Food Bank, Fans who donate at least three canned or non-perishable food items will also receive free admission to Tuesday night's women's basketball game. And finally, mark your calendars for the weekend of November 26th and 27th and make plans to visit Navy's Winter Wonderland at Alumni Hall. 
The men's basketball team hosts Mount St. Mary's at 11 a.m. on the 26th, and the Navy women's basketball team will be hosting the annual Navy Classic all weekend long. Throughout the weekend, fans can visit the Winter Wonderland, which will be filled with holiday activities for kids of all ages. And the best part is, admission to all five games over that weekend is free. Now back to the pod. Welcome back to the pod, and this is the Academy Securities Alumni Spotlight. Tonight's spotlight subject is former Navy slotback and quarterback Malcolm Perry. Malcolm had one of the most incredible senior seasons in Navy history, setting the football bowl subdivision record for rushing yards by a quarterback with over 2,000, led Navy to an 11-2 and season that included a Commander-in-Chief's Trophy championship and a victory over Kansas State in the Liberty Bowl. Malcolm is a native of Clarksville, Tennessee. His parents were both Army uh, service members. Uh, They were stationed at Fort Campbell, which straddles the Kentucky-Tennessee line right near where he grew up in Clarksville. Malcolm, welcome to the pod. Uh, I guess first and foremost, I would ask you, did watching a a quarterback named Keenan Reynolds run wild and set the FBS record for rushing touchdowns, he's a Tennessee native as well, uh, not too far from where you grew up. He's uh, more from the Nashville area. Did that have anything to do with your decision to attend the Naval Academy? Uh, definitely. Uh, when, uh, coach Ingram first came into my, to my high school to talk to me, uh, he sat me down, he showed me the Naval Academy and then he pulled up some film of, uh, Keenan. And, um, I believe we both wore number 19 in high school. Um, and we looked a lot alike on the field. So, um, kind of, kind of dove into it a little more and started watching more and, uh, um, definitely idolized him and, and wanted to, um, be a part of what he did at the Naval Academy. So obviously you had one of the strangest collegiate debuts that anyone would ever find. You had been sick the week before the opener and missed some practice time. And the coaching staff decided to have you play in the junior varsity game on Friday. Um, And therefore you did not dress for the opener against Fordham, I believe it was. And that's the game in which Tago Smith got injured and was replaced by Will Wirth. And we found out later that Zach Avey, who was the third string quarterback, was uh, kind of on a little, you know, suspension, if you will. Or, uh, but you ended up having to come out of the stands. Literally, you were in your your whites, your dress whites, in the stands with the brigade of midshipmen, and they sent someone into the stands to grab you and send you to the locker room and have you dress. And lo and behold, not only did you dress at halftime and join the sideline, but you ended up playing in the game and uh, had a couple of nice runs, led Navy to a scoring drive. I think that ended with a field goal. Is that something you'll never forget that odd debut? Uh, definitely. That was the, that was the start of my, my Navy career. Um, I definitely never envisioned uh, my first college game to, to unfold the way it did. Um, but like you said, it was a hectic week. I was sick, uh, missed a lot of practice, got to play in the JV game um, for the first time. And uh, had a pretty good game, and it was happy uh, with what I did on the field and was looking forward to the next week of practice. But um, like you said, uh, unfortunately, Tago went down with the injury. Uh, Will Worth went in, and um, we put up a couple points on him. So um, we, we didn't want to risk uh, Will getting hurt. And, and like you said, Zach was hurt too. So 
Um, I got to get in and get my first experience of college football. And um, uh, it, it was it was pretty crazy. It went viral. I think ESPN posted it and everything. So uh, it was all over the place. And it was a, a pretty cool uh, way to start my story and my journey at the Naval Academy. Yeah, I was annoyed because the paper loved the story so much. And it was apparently getting so much pub that day that they made me write an extra story for the front page. So thanks for making me do extra work. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. So now you played both slot back and quarterback. Was it kind of frustrating going back and forth between the two? I want to say that your sophomore year, you played both. There was like you were mostly a slot, but then you came in and played quarterback in a few games. I think you even started against SMU or something. And then obviously your junior year, you were the starting quarterback initially and things didn't go so well and you moved back to slot. Was it just frustrating going back and forth between quarterback and slot back? Uh, definitely. I, to, to be completely honest with you, I hated the idea of playing quarterback um, coming into my freshman year. I remember uh, being excited about finally being able to settle down at a position. Um, being tossed at quarterback was something that I dealt with my whole life. Um, I came into my freshman year of high school wanting to play a uh, running back and uh, they kind of did the same, same thing coach Jasper did to me um, at the start of camp. So um, going back and forth definitely was frustrating. I never really got to settle down really early and, um, you know, kind of sit in and, and set my sights on what I needed to do to be good at either position. But uh, at the end, I mean, it all paid off, um, you know, being well-rounded, um, getting to see the game from a different uh, perspective and kind of knowing what the other guys are thinking and, and what they're going through. Uh, definitely helped me, uh, you know, pull out a, a, a better uh, senior season. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I look back on it, I'm grateful for, for them throwing me around a little bit. So as mentioned, Malcolm had an amazing senior season. He rushed for 2017 yards. As I mentioned, he broke the FBS record for rushing yards by a quarterback, which was previously held by Jordan Lynch of Northern Illinois. Um, and that amazing season, 11-2 and two with the – beating Army and Air Force in Kansas State in the bowl game. Just your thoughts and memories of that great season, Malcolm. You know, uh, leading up to that season, we had a couple of down years at Navy. I think uh, once Keenan left and, and all the things he was able to accomplish, I think we had uh, one more season of uh, some pretty good football there. But uh, there was a big drop-off, and um, it, it, was, it was something that my freshman class kind of experienced firsthand for the first time, uh, you know, with the first loss to Army. Uh, in a long time. So, um, you know, we were the, kind of the class that was able to see um, what Keenan's class and, and those guys were able to accomplish and also uh, experience the, the loss and the, um, you know, the, the heartbreaking uh, losses to Army and stuff like that. So uh, just as a class, we kind of decided that, that um, we weren't going to let that happen again. And uh, leading up to that year, that, that summer, um, uh, we worked our butts off and uh, we were able to win a couple games and, uh, like you said, uh, break a couple records and stuff like that. But um, it, it was great. And I think the the thing that I missed the most and I remember the most was um, just being in the locker room with the guys and the friendships and the camaraderie we had. And uh, that that's what I missed the most. And, of course, uh, beating Army. So that great senior season enabled you to finish with 4,359 career rushing yards. That was exactly 200 yards less than Keenan. So Keenan, he was coming at you. And Malcolm actually did surpass you and uh, Zach Aby for most 100-yard uh, rushing games in a season with 11 
and he was Malcolm finished one shy of Keenan for most 100 rushing yard games for a career. Keenan had 22 and Malcolm 21. Keenan, jump up in here and kind of uh, were you proud of your fellow Tennessee native for what he did at Navy? And I think you probably enjoyed watching Malcolm run as much as all the rest of us. For sure. I mean, I talked so much trash that year in 2019 when he was just running all over dudes. That was amazing to see. A couple of memories I have, like, other than that fantastic year he had, was when he rushed for, like, 300 yards in the snow against Army. Even though we didn't beat Army, like, that was, like, that was a hell of an individual effort to see. I played in the snow. It's not fun, no matter what anybody says. I'm sure that Malcolm would agree. Getting tackled on snow is not it's not a fun thing, but to see what he did and what he was able to accomplish um, while getting you know tossed around and, and doing a lot of different things and not really ever being able to focus on being a quarterback until his senior year, I mean it's pretty it's pretty incredible. So um, also shout out to Coach uh, Coach Jasper and Coach Ingram, who Coach Ingram who I think is the best recruiter in the country because if you look at his track record of like who he's recruited, it's like a not a two-ball horn or anything, but it's a who's who of Navy football, right? So I think it's it's pretty awesome to have another Tennessee native come in and do what he did um, and, and have all the accomplishments he did. But, but Malcolm, I really want to talk about, like, your transition into the NFL. I definitely – we obviously have very similar experiences of, like, coming out as quarterbacks but then getting moved positions. You played a little bit of different positions throughout your career. I was, like, a straight quarterback my whole life. But just kind of talk to us about your, your transition process as you, like, first got to camp with the Dolphins, which I believe was like right in the middle of COVID. So you really didn't get the full experience. So I'm really interested to, to hear how it was like walking into training camp without any offseason prep. Oh, yeah, it, it was crazy. Uh, like you said, guys that go into the NFL playing the same position their whole life and they're playing that position in the NFL, they have a hard time themselves. So um, you and I know like that transition from – from being in the backfield, never getting hit at practice and, um, you know, having, you know, just different stuff to worry about on the field. Um, it was crazy. And like you said, I, I went into the NFL um, in the middle of COVID, which I'm I'm kind of thankful for. I got I got a little bit more time, um, you know, to get ready and stuff like that. And it, it was definitely an easier process for me. Um, but um, it, it, it was crazy. That's that's really the only way I can describe it. I mean. Uh, going into a wide receiver room with with uh, guys like Devontae Parker, Jakeem Grant, uh, Albert Wilson, guys that um, I've heard of and, and been watching on TV since I was little um, and kind of seeing up close and personal um, just how good they were. Because that, that was the question for me going into the NFL is, am I good enough to play wide receiver on an NFL team? And am I good enough to make a roster or you know, so that was my biggest question. So finally getting getting on the field with those guys and, um, you know, being in individual drills with them, being in the in the wide receiver room, seeing how smart they are and all the stuff that they already know. It was it was amazing. And a big part of that, I would say, is uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, we, we met up in, in Nashville and we got on the field a couple of times and uh, you got to, you know, kind of pick my brain and I got to pick yours and uh, that helped me out a lot. It kind of uh, calmed my nerves and uh, kind of let me know, you know, I'm I'm capable of doing it. Um, I got a harder path to getting to where those guys are, but um, it, it was amazing. And uh, you you know, 
you know a lot more than you think and you don't know as much as you think at the same time. So um, coming from Navy uh, doesn't really help you a lot on the field in terms of X's and O's, but um, the, the morals behind what Coach Nehemiah uh, preaches and Coach Jasper preaches, um, if you apply those to um, your NFL career, then, then you're set. You can make it. Yeah, I definitely remember those those times on the field in Nashville. Um, and, you know, my whole thing was like, didn't I didn't have anybody like giving me any advice or what to expect when I got there. And, and to your point, like you walk into camp and you get into the room and, and I was in a room with Mike Wallace, and Steve Smith. I'm like, I definitely heard of Steve Smith. I watched him for the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Everybody knows who Steve Smith is. Yeah. And just like, I always thought, you know, these guys are good. They're better athletes than everybody, blah, blah, blah. But then when you actually, like, see the amount of work you put in, like, that was the biggest shell shock for me. It's just, like, these guys are, like, masters of the craft. They're professionals. You know what I'm saying? It seems very obviously cliche, but I kind of took that for granted until I got to the room. So I definitely can uh, feel how you feel. Yeah. Um, so uh, another question I have is, like, I know that you are, you know, transitioning out of the league and into life after football. Can you just talk about like what that's been like for you? I know we've had like some more private conversations, but like just like on a at a high level, like the the decision to say, okay, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm ready to to move on to life after ball. Um, again, I've been there. Can we we as we both know can relate to how you feel, but I just want to like pick your brain on like what some of your thought process process was as you transition. Yeah. Um. So I had a had a quite a quite a bit of uh, time to think about it and really digest it. And, uh, and I think the biggest thing is coming from Navy, um, you know, you kind of have a camaraderie and a, a connection to your teammates on a different level. And um, I don't think the NFL touches that. Um, you know, you got guys on your team, your room that you're really close to. And obviously you could, you, you create bonds with your teammates that, you know, are special in their own way, but it, it never really, um amounted to to what navy was for me and um the business side of the nfl is is far bigger than i imagined going into the league and um you know everybody dreams of going to the nfl as a as a young football player and um my first year with the dolphins i got to experience everything i had questions about um you know what is it like how good are these guys um what's it like to get that paycheck and you know, stuff like that. And, and you get that taste of it and you get your answers. Um, but then comes the business side of everything. And, you know, as a rookie, uh, you don't worry about that so much. Uh, but once you get a little older and you start moving around a little bit, um, you start to I believe the words you you use were walk on eggshells. And um, that's like the perfect analogy for it is uh, you're walking on eggshells every day. Um, you know, the coaches got to do what they got to do. Players got to do what they got to do. And at the end of the day, it's every man for himself. And um, so for me, it was just a, a lifestyle uh, mentally that I, I just couldn't keep up with. Um, so that that in itself just uh, goes to show you, like, those guys that are doing their thing year in and year out, it's just uh, they're on a different level. And uh, it's just me personally, I couldn't keep up with it mentally. Um, physically, I think, of course, I could still be playing right now. Um, but uh, it's just – um, an environment that I, I didn't thrive in. I just saw a uh, passion in the in the military, a uh, passion to serve uh, that was still inside of me. And uh, the football thing kind of just 
lost his I lost the love for it, you could say. Yeah, I definitely understand that and uh, appreciate you uh kind of giving us background on, on what that was like. Cause I think I don't think a lot of people know or understand like what you just described. And it's something that especially as a player at that level, you learn the hard way when you get hit with the you get bit by the business bug. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that you can't even really describe to anybody else. Cause it's just, it's just different. And so the people around you start to figure it out because they're around you all the time. But, but yeah, you, you definitely, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of different points, but so I appreciate you, you know, giving us that, that insight into, you know, your mindset. So Keenan, do you appreciate that Malcolm came up just short on a couple of your records? I mean, he didn't surpass your career rushing records. Um, and <laughs> your, your touchdown records untouchable by anybody, but, uh, you got the, 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 your younger Tennessee uh, resident by on that one. Yeah. You, honestly, like if he had more time, he would have definitely shattered them. And I mean, records are made to be broken. You know, obviously a lot, they're a source of pride for the, the accomplishments that you had, but I mean, the dude rushed for 2k in a single season, like that is unbelievable. Uh, and, and, and that's playing, you know, in a, in a very tough conference against very good football teams. And to have 11 100 yard rushing uh, games in a seat, like that is just, that's incredible to me. So, you know, hats off to him. I, I got no hate or malice or anything in my heart about uh, his capability and what he did. You know, lastly, when you, you, th- you watch tape of Keenan, um, you probably try to learn a little bit from him as far as being an option quarterback. What was it that you were impressed with on Keenan Reynolds? Because they always say, and Coach Jasper's the one that says it, that at the end of his career, he was like a coach on the field. He he was seeing things the way that Coach Jasper and Coach Diamat saw him as far as the option, and he was doing a lot of different stuff, and that's why they ran so much stuff with, uh, with uh, Keenan. They were able to, you know, have him do shotgun and run all sorts of different uh, – elements that that had not been used before what what was your re- recollections of watching him on film uh yeah so um just like you said his mind um i don't think that i even came close to um his his knowledge of the game and his understanding of defenses and uh understanding what the the triple option was trying to attack and uh how to get your players in the best position i don't think i came close to that until my senior year so um, just seeing him, watching tape of him, young Keenan versus Air Force, uh, his freshman year, or you know, just throughout his whole his whole time, is he always was was a, a student of the game, and he knew and he understood um, pretty much everything on the field, and it was it was baffling to me, and it kind of was it kind of deterred me. I'm not gonna lie, uh, early in my years playing quarterback. Like I'm never gonna be as smart as Keenan, so um, that kind of put the put the fire in me. Just that having that in the back of my head that put some fire under me and uh, ended up motivating me to uh, to go on and have a, a good senior season like I did. But um, just watching his film and seeing how smart he was, and on top of that, he could throw the ball, um, he could make people miss, and um, he can outrun some guys too. So um, just all around total package. If you want to make an option quarterback, you make Keenan Reynolds. And you know what I'm saying? So um he's the prototype. So definitely a lot of a lot of late nights watching watching Keenan work. Well, Keenan, you would have taken some of the uh speed and open field moves of Balcoms, wouldn't you? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm about to say, he had a little more wiggle than I ever had and way more speed. So um, I appreciate the compliment, though, man. Uh, and like I said, you, you can't, I mean, what, what you can't understand what you did and the, your role in Navy football lore and stuff. So we really appreciate you uh, coming and talking to us and, and just, you know, answering our questions, sharing some insight. I appreciate you guys having me. It's an honor to be in the presence of you guys. So, so I'll just wrap this up by saying that Malcolm, uh, as mentioned, retired from the NFL. He is going to be recommissioned as a Marine Corps officer. He will head to Quantico for the basic school, TBS. And Malcolm's going to serve, which was always his dream. He had a dream to play in the NFL. He accomplished that. He also had a dream to serve in the military, following in the footsteps of his parents. And he's going to accomplish that. And we applaud him on both counts. And Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots coach, who was Malcolm's last coach, uh, used last week's Veterans Day as an opportunity to praise Malcolm for his decision to go serve and said how proud he is of Malcolm. So, Malcolm, we enjoyed watching you play for Navy football. We enjoyed watching you in the NFL, and we're looking forward to see what you do as a Marine Corps officer. Thanks a lot for being on the Navy football podcast as the Academy Securities Alumni Spotlight subject. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me.